In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Shalazar and Regimelech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, for these seventy years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Were not these the words that the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her? In the south and the lowland were inhabited. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgment, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder, and stopped their ears, that they may not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. As I called, they would not hear. So they called, and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, <clears throat> Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand, because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sign of peace. 
The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I'll cause the remnant of his people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things you, that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful peace. Therefore, love truth and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even inhabitants of many cities. Inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jews, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Junior. Good day, everyone. My name is Mike. Welcome to church, especially if you are new. Um, we are going to look at two bigger chapters. So Zechariah 7 and 8. Thanks for your lunch plans, everybody. Um, all right. What proportion of your income should you give to the local church and the work of the gospel? As a Christian, do I need to attend both a Sunday gathering and a midweek growth group, or is it okay if I just attend Sundays or midweek? And which one do I choose? Um, how many times should I be reading the Bible and praying on average per each week? And finally, um, as a Christian, is it okay to own a BMW? Or should I stick to sort of Honda's, Mazda's, and below? Um, here's just a sample of questions. I think they're really good questions. Because um, on one level, they're questions where we want to try and wrestle with how to honor God with the things that we have, with the time that He's given to us. Um, at the same time, though, our questions um, are often more about me than the than they are about God. So, um, how can I honor God? What kind of boundaries do I need to put in in order to please Him? What kind of things do I need to do? What sort of sort of restrictions are there to be a Christian? Today, in Zechariah 7, God's people ask a good question. 
So it's a, it's a, it's a religious question, um, but it's a question which is more about them than it is about God. And so instead of Zechariah kind of saying yes or no, he goes on this two-chapter response. And you think, boy, is Zechariah long-winded or what? But I think what um, Zechariah is trying to do in his chapters is he's trying to teach his people and train his people that the world does not revolve around you. It actually revolves around God and his blessings for the world. And so as we come to wrestle with these two chapters, my hope is that God does a similar work for you and I, that he shows us and he trains us that the world does not revolve around you and it does not revolve around me, but actually revolves around him and his plans to bless the world through his son, Jesus. Does that make sense? Why don't we pray and have a look at the text together? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you've given to us these two chapters in the book of Zechariah. Father, would you please help us to um, shift our eyes away from ourselves for a moment and to see what blessings and plans you have and what you've communicated through your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as Andrew mentioned, um, we're up to the second half sort of, of Zechariah. Uh, we've come through the, um, the eight visions that Zechariah had of restoration. A restoration of the temple, a restoration of the priesthood. And now we come to sort of the second half of the book. And you'll notice there is an important date reference in chapter 7, verse 1. You'll see it says there, in the fourth year of King Darius. Now that is an important date reference because we're two years past the visions. The temple is about to be completed. And that's important because it helps fuel this very good question in verse 3. So God's people from Bethel come on behalf of the people of Israel to ask this question. At the end of verse 3, they ask, Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month, as I have done for so many years? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? The temple is about to be completed God's presence is about to dwell with them again. In the people's minds, they're thinking, we've been fasting in particular on the fifth month, which is when the temple was destroyed. But now the temple is about to be completed. So do we need to fast anymore and continue to mourn? Or can we do away with this practice? And if you're this group of men, you're thinking, I should get a pretty straightforward answer back in time for the state of origin. But instead, Zechariah um, gives him this kind of two-chapter response. And because it's such a big chunk today, and what we're going to do is we're going to go on a bit of a guided tour through Zechariah's response and to see what he has to say. So first stop, come with me to Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 4. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, 
for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves. So the first answer that Zechariah gives is he actually exposes something about the Israelite hearts. And he says this, you know all those feasts, so all those hearts, and all those rituals that you were performing, do you actually realize it wasn't for God that you were doing them, but you were doing them for yourself? You were doing them not for God, but for yourselves. Now, that strikes me as a very odd sort of accusation to make. You know, all those fasts, so all the times you've abstained from food, you were doing them not for God, but for yourself. That's a weird accusation, right? I mean, if, if I was an Israelite and I was fasting for multiple months and doing that for 70 years, denying myself fried chicken, and then all of a sudden Zechariah says, hey, you know, all those times you fasted, you did it for yourself, not for God. How is it that I did a fast not for God but for myself? I thought I was doing those things for Him, but now you're telling me that's not what my heart was doing. What is what is going on there? I don't think Zechariah is saying you were doing those fasts insincerely. I think the clue to what he means actually comes when he looks back to the former prophets. So if you look at the text down there, um, after he says that, in verse 9, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Look, I know you did those fasts. I'm not saying you did them necessarily like you didn't mean them for God. But he's saying, you know what? You've been doing those things but ignoring the important matters of obedience, like caring for other people. True worship of God, in other words, or what it means to please God, is not just performing religious activities but actually expressing God's love to God's people. So you notice everything in that list in verse 9 is in relation to someone else. So standing up to injustice, showing mercy and kindness to others. But notice in particular, it's towards those who cannot offer us anything in return. So what is it about widows? What is it about the fatherless and the poor? Those people in particular are very unlikely to actually give you anything back. And so Zechariah's accusation is that you, know, you were doing all those fasts and all those rituals, but you ignored the love and care of God's people. And Zechariah chapter 7 is a huge challenge for us. That true worship is not just expressed in Christian activities, 
but actually expressed in the love and care that God has shown towards other people. But I think for us at church at night, I think there's two reasons why I think that's a challenge for us. I think number one, it's much easier to commemorate an event than it is to care for someone. Do you think about it? What's easier? Is it easier to come along to an event for a set period of time and then go home? Or is it easier to share your time and your money to someone who is struggling financially and who probably won't give you anything back? Or what's easier? Is it easier to come along at church at night? I know night is hard for some people, but is it easier to come along for one and a half hours on a Sunday and go home? Or is it easier to sit down with someone to listen to their struggles, to actually pray for them, to actually wait for them, someone who causes you at least mild irritation, who doesn't seem to grow much, and who doesn't give you much mutual encouragement? It's hard. It's hard work. True worship is hard work. People are hard. Secondly, I think it's also a challenge for us because we live incredibly scheduled lives. I mean, our weeks, for most of us, are actually based on hourly blocks or the afternoon or the morning. Even just to catch up with a good friend requires, like, weeks of advance notice. And so it can be very um, easy for us to sort of reduce um, worship of God to sort of the structures and the times that we allot for Christian activities. And even for me, someone in sort of paid ministry, it's the same struggle as it is for many of us to reduce the worship of God to Christian activities. Zechariah says, true worship, what pleases him, is not just to turn up to things and then go home, but actually found in bringing God's love to bear in the lives how do you solve a problem like that? How do you encourage people who are so used to ritual to actually love and serve God out of a willing heart? I think for many of us, the solution might be well, why don't you just go and try to meet up with someone? you don't like very much. Or why you schedule in another thing where you can catch up with someone who's on the fringes of church? Now, I think that's a good idea, but do you notice what Zechariah does as he goes into chapter 8? How does he encourage the discouraged generation to worship God, truly, how does he stop them from being like the previous generation to stop their hearts from becoming becoming diamond hearts? Come with me to see the solution. Come with me to chapter 8 and verse 1. The word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with a great jealousy. 
and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. How does Zechariah inspire the current generation to live in obedience to God? Chapter 8's answer is to hold up the future blessings of God as a motivation to obey God now. And if you just glance your eyes down to chapter 8, um, verses 1 to 17, if you have a look at it, it's just promise of blessing after blessing after blessing. So verse 1 and 2 again, God will return to dwell with his people. Verse 7, they shall be my people and I will be their God. Verse 12, for there shall be a sowing of peace, the vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. Verse 15, I have purposed to bring good to Jerusalem. The logic is, if you understand just what God has in store for you, then you will, verse 16, Speak the truth to one another, act justly, and display God's love to others. One particular blessing that I, I love this picture is in the is in verse four. Come with me to verse four. Thus says the Lord of hosts: Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand, because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. For a discouraged people who've been under foreign rule for 70 years, the future for God's people will be so safe and so secure that even the most vulnerable people will feel safe to live and happily play in the streets. Old people will be sitting down in the streets. That's what old people should be doing. They should be sitting down. Now, if God allows me to live to 65, that's what I want to be doing. I'll be sitting down. Now, just give me a... It doesn't mean that old people can't do things or not able to do things. I mean, Huey's still very mobile. That's not what this text is saying. Sitting down here is a sign of a long life. I've enjoyed prosperity, I've enjoyed safety, now I can sit down with my staff in my hand. And for God's people who even mistreated each other, this is a promise that seems too good to be true. And yet God says, it's not too marvelous for me. I'm going to do it. Keep going. It's the same with the kids. If old people should be sitting down, what should children be doing? Children should be playing and having fun. I know as adults, you know, we often have lots of measures for well-being, like physical shape, you know, career goals, relationship status. But with children, there's really one measure. Is the child playing and having fun? There's nothing more sad than a child not having fun and playing. 
too much homework or is scared to go out. And yet God's promise here is a picture of kids playing on the streets without fear. Without fear. You see what Zechariah is saying? He's saying because God is going to bless you so much, because he has got so much in store, so much good in store for you, he says, yes, keep building the temple, but live lives of true obedience. Live lives of mercy and kindness out of God's love for you. And so that's why when Zechariah finally answers the original question in verse 19, this makes a little bit more sense now. Come with me to chapter 8 and verse 19. Because thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. And think about just fasting and mourning, because in the future, fasting will be over. Feasting and blessing will come, and therefore, live in obedience. The blessings of the future lead to obedience. Yeah. How much do you and I serve God based on the blessings that He has promised us? How much do you and I actually serve God out of the joy of those blessings and not just out of obligation and duty? I know I'm often, I often find myself obeying God because it's the right thing to do. And yet Zechariah says, would you consider soaking up the blessings that God has given to us? And for us as Christian people, um, it's not actually just the blessings of heaven and the future, like Shinoi pointed us to in the kids' spot. It's actually also the blessings that God has poured upon his people in Jesus right now. He has not held back. He's actually poured, for example, Ephesians 1 says that in Jesus, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He hasn't held back. He's poured it out on his people. And so Zechariah, I think, actually asks us, he invites us to soak up those blessings, to sit in them, to enjoy them, to find out and reflect on them, such that we would serve God, not just out of Fasting and obligation and mourning, but out of a heart of feasting and joy. It's like that uh, lolly shop in, in Lura. Um, but I know we've talked about this before. You've been to the lolly shop in Lura. If you haven't been, it's a, it's a shop which is wall to wall and floor to ceiling with just lollies and chocolate. And you could be having a bad day, but if you step into that shop, then you enjoy just turns on your fasting, turns to feasting. And Zechariah 8 in particular, I think, invites us to reflect on Ephesians 1 a little bit like that blue shop. To actually step into the lolly shop of the blessings of Christ, that he's so decided to make us holy and blameless before him, that he has actually taken the weight and sin, burden of sin and removed it, because of the death of the Son of Lord Jesus Christ. That he's actually prepared for us a place in heaven where there will be perfect friendships, where we will get to see God face to face. 
to separate and guide you and I think to just chew on those blessings, to suck on those blessings, so salivate over those blessings, and ask God to actually work a heart in us to serve Him, not just from mourning and obligation, but actually ask Him to work a heart of joy, so that we would so serve Him out of that contentment. So that might be an exercise for you this week, to sit in Ephesians 1 and taste and reflect all the wonderful blessings of Christ. Well, the final bit of Zechariah's answer comes in the last few verses, and we get the final answer to that original question in chapter 7. And the final answer is this, you know, all those blessings that God's promised you, they are blessings that are not to be kept for yourself, but actually to be passed on to the nations. Would you come with me, verse 21, as we finish our time together? The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of the Jews, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. God is a God who seeks to bring blessing to his people, yes, his people, but also to the nations around Israel. You see, the original question that this delegate of God's people asked was incredibly narrow-minded. It was a good question that they were thinking about themselves. And so what God does through Zechariah is he says, actually, um, think about the blessings that are about to come upon you, but not just for you, but for the nations around you. In other words, the world does not revolve around you. It actually revolves around God's blessings and plans to bring those blessings to the nations around us. And so in a similar way, as we reflect on those blessings that we just spoke about from Ephesians 1, Zechariah makes it clear that the world does not revolve around us either. It actually revolves around God and his plan to bless all the nations in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what proportion of my income should I give to the local church? And do I need to attend the Sunday gathering and the midweek group, or can I just attend one or the other? How many times should I read the Bible and pray as a Christian person? And is it okay for me to drive a BMW or drive a stick to Honda, Mazda, whatever? There's good questions to ask. But as we dip into Zechariah's response to Israel's question today, perhaps we could also ask slightly different questions. If God has poured upon me every spiritual blessing in Christ, can I bless others with both my physical possessions 
as well as my spiritual possessions in the Lord Jesus. If God's heart is expressed in love for his people, how can I demonstrate that love, not just by turning up on a weekly basis? When other people interact with me, how am I showing with my speech and my character that God is with me in the person of Jesus, such that they want to grab my feet and investigate more about the Lord Jesus Christ? The world does not revolve around you and me. It revolves around God and His plans to bless the whole world through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we want to thank you for these um, lengthy chapters in the book of Zechariah. Father, we want to uh, acknowledge the times in which our questions and our motives in our lives have been so focused on ourselves and not you. Father, we want to thank you for pouring out your blessings upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ and ask that you would enable us to soak in those blessings and be thankful and grateful for how richly you saved us and rescued us in your son. And we pray for a heart that would so love to share that news and so share the love of Christ with others, that people will look at us and see that you are with us in your son. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.